0: Thank you very much. It's so good to be here with you this morning. It's a real privilege to be able to share a little bit about what God's been uh, doing in us and, uh, and connect with you guys. Been a part of the Vineyard family since 1989, and uh, so it's wonderful to walk in to the church today and hear the worship and see people engaging in worship. I was telling him it sort of has a feel of our church when we pastored at the Cambridge Vineyard a number of years ago because it has quite a cross-section. You have quite a cross-section of ages You know, and now in a lot of churches, you might have a lot of kids and young families, but you don't have gray hair, and then you have gray hair, excuse me, I'm I'm gray hair, thank you, I'm I'm with you on that, and you have, but you have all the generations and filled with youth, and so we're... uh, It's awesome to be with you here today. I want to give you a snapshot um, what's going to happen. I'm going to give you a snapshot about who we are and what we're doing down in Brazil. My wife's going to come up and give two testimonies of people that we're ministering with down in Brazil and how God's been touching and changing their lives to sort of give you an idea of the impact of what's going on there. And then my hope and desire is we'll be done in time, and not everyone will be looking at that clock, and uh, we'll just spend some time doing some ministry. Uh, And and just invite the Lord to speak to each of us and minister to to us. And even though this morning I'm not sort of opening the Bible and going through a text and speaking, I do believe this morning that God has something for each one of us. I believe that something will be said this morning that's going to resonate inside of you. God hooking your heart, talking to you, prompting. Something will happen if you're open. If you're open and saying, Lord, speak to me, I believe you will walk out today saying, I met the Lord in in a particular way. And so that's what I I believe is going to take place this morning. Uh, We got married, my wife and I, 32 years ago. We have four children. And uh, I don't know if you can see that. That's my oldest and and, uh, my son-in-law. This is my oldest boy and a Brazilian daughter-in-law. And then I have actually, is there any teenagers here and, and young adults? I have two single people here. My daughter, Beth Ann. <laughs> Beth Ann is uh, 24. She just graduated nursing and she's in Calgary at the Children's Hospital. And my son is 19 and he's in first, just finished his first year of university. They love the Lord and we're looking for keeping our eyes open to people. Uh, part of the Vineyard Church since 89. Went to uh, Cambridge in 93 and I met Dane Nechtel. He was a youth there at our church. And it was awesome to see him there and and sort of encouraging us there. Uh, Was youth pastor, assistant, then co-senior pastor, and then eventually senior pastor. Uh, Over an 11-year period of time, 12 years ago, I burnt out. Emotionally burnt out, didn't know what happened, and all of a sudden, I just couldn't function anymore. And so we took a break. And uh, I went into ministry and to real estate uh, which is a ministry when you're with people who are buying homes and selling homes. And, uh, but five years ago, we left, and we got connected with a mission down in Brazil. This, this mission, the, uh, I'm having a problem with my throat these days. so <clears throat> uh, This mission started 20 years ago. Uh, the goal is to plant churches along the Amazon Basin. Um, This is the mouth of the Amazon here, Belain area, and right across here is the Amazon River. And uh, the goal was to to have a a church planting movement that would start along the the Amazon uh, River there. We're in the uh, section here. I'll backtrack here. Um, Manaus is here, so when everyone wants to go to the rainforest, they always go down here. But uh, again, this is the Amazon Basin in here, and we're down in Altamira, and there's a tributary that comes off the Amazon here, and uh, we're involved in planting churches. They've been planting churches there. We had up to 45, 50 churches. We're down about 35 or so, and that's because in the river communities, people move away, and there's been more jobs in the city, and so they, the kids are getting more educated, although it's not that great. But what ends up happening is they want to move away from the river communities, going to the cities, and all of a sudden, these communities shut down, and then our churches. Shut down, But we've been uh, planting uh, for the past 20 years and 15 years ago, uh, connected up with the vineyard. So now we're planting vineyard churches there uh, in Canada. There is a, an iPad that's passing by here, just so you know. If you want to put your name and your email address, you would receive a newsletter from us, an update, if you're interested in that. If you're not, just pass it by. I won't send you any spam or anything like that, or we'll try not to. Um so we've uh, we 've got four bases in Porto Jamaz, Altamira, pakaja and Madaba there, and uh, we are working along the national churches planting these churches there 's only one church that I know of that has a um, an American uh, as the pastor. Our goal is always to have the nationals leading the church, them fueling it, and our job is to come alongside and encourage and, and challenge and, uh, and 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 help support them in that. Just some uh, some pictures there of doing evangelism in the interior. These are some of the houses along the river communities. That's a very typical house there in a typical boat. Uh, one of our friends, Nazina, uh, this is a, one of the larger churches that we have. It has about Probably about double the size of this inside there. Um, churches in the interior look like that. You can see the wooden houses behind. So we have quite a cross section. That's a We had a church service in there, was meeting there. We were just leaving on the boat when we took that picture. And that was uh, just a family that was uh, sort of responsible for that area. And everyone came by dugout canoe and, and showed up so that we could have a service when we were doing some ministry there. This is one of the boats that we have. And... Um, and we if you come down with a team, we 'll take a boat like this, and we 'll go on the river for, for four or five days and, and do some ministry and sleep in hammocks and hear the, uh, the howl monkeys, and, and that's always a lot of fun. It's a picture of the inside. I asked my friend who, who's walking there in the block, if he would uh, spearfish in that area, because he goes, if he's a great spearfisher, and he catches huge fish. And, uh, and I thought, I would never swim in that stuff, right? Like, I'm just not going in there, right? He goes, oh, yeah, I'd go in there. I said, are you kidding me? And he goes, oh, yeah. He says, because there's 100 houses in that community, and they've already fished through that. So there's no snakes. There's no crocs. And there's, but there's great fish, right? He says, you don't want to go into an area that looks like that where you don't see a house in sight. That's where you don't want to go. I said, okay, good lesson to know. I won't go in there. Um, lots of children's ministries and events that we do. Uh, This is a picture of the Trans-Amazonian Highway. I don't know if you can see that. In the rainy season, it looks like this. And that's my truck that got baptized as we went through. There was about two feet of mud. And uh, so I got pulled out by the tractor there in the front there. He was making a lot of money that day. And then we had to push hot cars around and... But that's what, the, that's what the highway looks like now for the most part. But two, three times a year, they'll take cattle, and they'll move it from one part of the, of the, of the country to the other, and they'll take a 1,000 cattle or more with ranchers along the highway. So you're bombing along. All of a sudden, you come to a stop, and you've got to make your way through, meander your way through all this, this cattle. So it's quite interesting. And then some bridges that are very um, safe to cross as you go along. So... Um, what ended up happening is uh, we went five years ago and we took two of our boys down with us and we uh, went to one base and, and worked for two years. And then at the end of that, the Lord spoke to us about um, doing another type of ministry and were invited by the national church to go back to the original base called Altamira to uh, do ministry. And they were having problems with some of the leaders pastors some of the leaders within the church they were falling into sexual sin falling back into alcohol some of the addictive behaviors they had before they came to Christ the church is exploding people coming to Christ discipling areas of their lives changing but other areas not no one really talking about it so they keep hidden And so what happens is eventually they fall, and they're going, man, we need some help. So they invited my wife and I to go back there and start a ministry called Living Waters. It's in Canada here as well. And it's for the relationally and sexually broken. started 30-some-odd years ago in Anaheim and uh, with a fellow who came out of the gay lifestyle and so attracted a lot of people with same-sex attraction and was struggling in those areas with sexual addiction. But it expanded to all of us who have uh, dysfunction in our lives, right? And so it's for everyone, not just someone who has those uh, those struggles. What I want to do right now is I want to just give you a very brief overview of what we teach in this course so you, have under, uh, you understand it. And so this circle represents our lives when we're born, and we're we are born with physical needs and emotional needs, and all needs are positive. They're good. Needs are not negative, although we think they're negative. Physical needs, food, clothing, shelter, protection, right? Emotional needs, we have Attention. We have affirmation. We have acceptance, affection, confidence, and self esteem. And we were all born with these emotional needs, and it was God's desire that through our family and our love relationships, we would be filled up with these needs and have our needs met through others and through God through others and God directly to us. The problem is, and so the goal was that to be filled up, but the problem is that most of us only received part. We received a little bit of attention, affirmation. Some of us, a group of families, and our fathers didn't speak words of affirmation unless we did something right, right? And so what happens is that person has to get good grades so that they get noticed, right? Um, they received a little bit of attention, but they could be sitting in a living room and dad's got the newspaper up or mom's busy in the kitchen doing stuff. You're together but they're not receiving attention. And you know the importance of looking someone in the eye and and showing them attention, and and, and that emotional need is met. And for some of us as well, is we have abuse has entered into our lives, whether it be physical, uh, emotional, verbally. um, emotionally, Emotionally, I know they're sexual, but I can't get... There's another one in there. I can't think of it at the moment. Um, And that comes in, and that breaks the barriers in our lives. and allows good things or bad things to come in and allows the good to go out. And then we have trauma, various forms of rejection that comes in. And so what ends up happening is we uh, of a person who is filled with, with needs. We have all these needs and gaps in our lives. And so unconscious to us, we try to fill them. And so normally through our adolescence, we start to, to do things to, to fill those needs. Now, food's an easy one because, you know, when the child's hurt and is crying, you comfort them and you say, hey, let me get you some chocolate cake, right? Let me get you some ice cream. Here's a popsicle. And so from a very young age, we comfort food. We have comfort food. So you'll be a person that when you're older and you're alone and you'll just go to the kitchen, you open know, up a fridge and you'll just stare. And then you'll shut it and you go back to the TV and you click, 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 click. And then you'll get up and you'll go to the fridge. And you have no idea why you're doing that. Well, there's an area of need there that you're not aware of and you're trying to meet that need. And so we've developed those things. We have materialism. You don't have to have money to use materialism to fill voids in your life. You can just be looking at catalogs and dreaming, right? We have chemicals, drugs, alcohol. We have relationships. Lots of us struggle with being alone. We need to be with people, and part of that is reviews that to fill a void in our lives. Unconsciously, um, we use work in ministry. People who are uh, addicted to work, who are always working, always working. Well, why are they always working? A lot of guys are addicted to work, and they're working because they're looking for dad's approval. They're just going after because they're, they're looking for that pat on the back that they never got. And they don't even know it's happening. And then it enters into ministry. Whether you're a pastor or not, you can be doing all sorts of ministry in the church looking for and gaining that. The danger is when you have a pastor who didn't receive affirmation from dad. And he has a great call of God in his life. And he's struggling because he's doing stuff and he's... Another story. Facebook. You know, where's the click... You guys do that here? In Brazil, it's all over the place. I mean, it's just filled every day, and everyone's looking for the likes. How many likes did I get? Why? They feel really good when all their friends go through and go, good, Alinda, um, Beautiful. You look great. and Ooh, I feel great. Until about an hour later, and then you go, gee, I've got to put another picture up there to get, right? And then sex. That can be... Pornography, masturbation, fantasizing, adulterous relationships, same-sex relationships. So we all have this stuff going on in our lives in some form of another. And we feel shame because of that. And so what ends up happening is we put on a false self, a false front. So we'll come here to this church on a Sunday morning and how are you? And you put your hand out and you say, I'm great. How are you? and what's happening is you have this f- false self there but in behind you got this person who's struggling who's fighting and wishes someone who would come behind that wall and help you deal with this stuff in a way that you won't be rejected. And so our ministry that we're doing down there is we're bringing people together for this purpose a purpose so they can hear from God but at the same time can be involved in community and in community be known and when you share of yourself in front of a group of people who of confidence who aren't going to share your stuff with other people, they feel accepted and, and included. And all of a sudden, the shame and the walls start to go down and healing starts to come into their lives, right? Because healing will not come into our lives if we do not have a place to share about what's really going on, Right? You see, because Jesus did not die for the person on the other side, on the on the front side of the wall that's putting up the false self, He died for the person that we're hiding, and Jesus's love and grace and healing comes to that person. But if we're always presenting this other person, He can't touch us, and we won't change in those inner areas. We do not have to tell, stand up in the front of the church and tell all our junk. But we need at least one person or two people that we can feel honest and open with so that they can let behind. Because if we do that, then we're honest with God and we're honest in a community. And Jesus has the opportunity and the power to come in and to touch those lives. So what we're doing right now is these are some of the people we're taking through our course that thing I just showed you there, we do that in four lessons and we spend have time in small groups so people start making this connection and then we invite them to a 16 week in-depth course where once a week they read a chapter, they come we have worship like we did today we have a teaching that goes over that chapter and then we get into small groups and there's one leader to four participants and that's where they end up experiencing God's healing and presence and touch into those deep areas of lives where most of them have never actually shared those those parts, and we're starting to see God doing some amazing healing. This is our last term that we just did, uh, is a Saturday night, and out of that group there, in between Cindy and I, we have one leader with his hand up, like thumbs up. We've already trained him. His name's Emerson, and the other three went through as as trainees, and they're ready to run groups in our next next phase. And then with this is one of our groups on Sunday morning, and there's a gal there beside Cindy, Denise, who we've trained. And then Cindy's going to talk about Rafael in a second and as a fellow that I've uh, spent some time training. So that's a a broad view of what we do. I'm involved with pastors in training as well. The other thing is we did a a pastor's retreat uh, in April and we had 30 pastors in front of us. And they asked us to do the, the seminar. And so we took them through these slides and spoke in detail. And at the end of that, they were asking for this course for them. They said, we need to go through this, not just the people in our church. And so we have an opportunity when we go back in August to do uh, two different groups with people in the churches and one group specifically for these pastors. So we're really excited about that and seeing the favor of God on that. Cindy, why don't you come and uh, talk about Huchi, Ruth.
1: Okay. Yeah, we thought maybe it'd be cool just to introduce you to a couple of Brazilians in these last few years that God is is transforming and loving back to life in incredible ways. Uh, Ruth here on the, on the screen here to the left, um, and in Portuguese, you pronounce her name Huchi, but uh, Ruth is the Canadian version of that, uh, clearly. Um, but Ruth was uh, raised in a home. The, the first 15 years of her life were any kid's nightmare, um, she was the youngest in a, in a family of, I think, maybe five uh, siblings. But she was her mom, uh, her dad's plaything, uh, sexually speaking, as well as her older brothers. And uh, and her life was, was a living nightmare, the first f- 15 years of her life. Every form of um, sexual deviance that you can imagine and have heard of uh, was practiced in her home. And uh, I won't give any more details because I realize that's probably not not uh, going to be pleasant for you. But anyway, that's, that was, were the first 15 years of her life. Uh, she tried three times to end her life because of the suffering that she lived through. Um, at the age of 15, she entered the doors of the first vineyard in Altamira. And as she entered those doors, she felt like God said something to her that, that this season of your life, of this form of suffering is over. And, and it did. When she entered this vineyard church, a woman, a very loving woman, adopted her into her home, and Ruth went to go live with this new family. She got this new experience of family, which was incredible for her. This woman who loved her and, and uh, affirmed her gave her a safe place to live. Um, so we met Ruth um, three years ago. Ruth is now 33. So the, those next 15 years of her life were a heck of a lot better than the first 15 in this new home. Um, the thing was, is we know that those, th- those traumas and that abuse that we suffer in our life, we, we can't bury that and, and let it die. It, it lives inside of us, that shame and all of those deposits of being someone's plaything and, and all that comes with that, all the confusion and, and hurt. So she had actually been praying that someone would arrive in Altamira that could help her walk through the the relational pain that she still carried deep inside her. Um, So we did Living Waters for the first... She was a part of the very first group uh, where we did Living Waters, and our Portuguese sucked. I mean, I I can't believe that people kept coming back week after week, but she was one of those because she was desperate. She was desperate for help. And... um, (coughs) One of the ways that she had coped for that those second fifteen years of her life was she had always minimized what had happened to her in her home. She'd al- always just told half the truth or a part of the truth, and uh, and she also at times would just lie about her, her family upbringing. She she created the image of the family that she had hoped she she would have had, and and that was the family that she had grown up in and. And, uh, and she would, when her friends, you know, would kind of, you know, rib her and say, Ruth, you know, you don't have any boyfriends. And, <clears throat> and, of course, for her, she had no intention of ever, ever being involved with another man for the rest of her life. And so she would lie. She would lie about those things, too, and, and, and pretend that she was definitely interested in getting married and the opposite sex. And that was, you know, she was normal. But, of course, when we started this program, um, Ruth just ran for the light. There, there was going to be no more half-truths. There was going to be no more minimizing. And, uh, and so it was an incredible, incredible journey for me to walk alongside her and hear her describe and name her abusers and, and be very specific about the things that happened. She was no longer going to play around the edges of anything. And, uh, and how incredible to watch God enter the wounds, enter the shame, enter the anger, the confusion, and all that had been deposited in her life, and see God uh, just just basically, uh, I mean, you can see her smile, but she, her life started to radiate. She's, in fact, our, uh, she advertises for our program without saying a word. I mean, people see her in the midst of the congregation, and you'll notice a face, a smile that you're like, wow, that. She's got a beautiful smile. Like, that life is, is radiating. And, of course, that's what God did. God says when you run for the light, when you live in the light, that's where I live. That's where I live. Good things happen. I sort out the mess. Yeah, I know it's really messy. But when you walk into the light, the light's powerful. And the light has the power to redeem and change and transform. And that's what's happened to her over the last few years. And and she does radiate. When we first met her three years ago, um, you would have, you um, she wore very loose fitting clothes at the time, and she she didn't dress in a feminine manner. She was more androgynous. It was she didn't want to be identified with women because women are just playthings. She didn't want, of course, be identified with men. She had other thoughts about men. Um, so she dressed in a very androgynous style, and but now <laughs> she dresses beautifully, and she looks so beautiful as a woman, and uh, it shines through. So we are, um, it's, it's just a privilege to walk alongside her, and of course, God's, um, God's got good plans for her. She's now very interested in the opposite sex. Um, <laughs> she's, she uh, ago she uh, he, she texted me a picture of a man who 's just new to our congregation in brazil and she 's very interested in him and uh, so she's uh, god 's just done incredible things in her and uh, it 's just a privilege to to walk with her um, <clears throat> her story isn 't over it 's not all happily ever after, but God is doing incredible things. Um, one of the things we like to to teach through the the course is that God is healing us for the rest of our lives. It's an ongoing journey of learning to look to him, let him in, and tell the truth, right? To tell the truth. The truth is a powerful, and the light is a safe place. The truth is a good thing. Raphael, um, another another good story there. Raphael was born to a mother who did not have the means to look after him. We've never heard anything about his father, um, so... I mean, he exists somewhere in the Amazon, but we've never met him. I don't think he has either. Rafael was tossed around as a little boy from family to family to family to family. And uh, he um, was eventually adopted into a family of six or seven siblings. They, of course, were all blood siblings, and he, him being the only adopted, adopted boy. Um, the family was very loving to him, but deep inside him, were just feelings of abandonment, and this inability to connect and feel like he really belonged. Um, and he carried that deep inside him. There's a worship song that that we sing in, in Brazil, and it's all about how I long to be like a child, um, to experience God, my life as a child and to return to that state of childlikeness. And, uh, and Rafael, whenever that song would come up on the screen, he was just... Kind of like, oh, brother, this song about child being a child again. Um, and so he would just go silent and just let the song pass. Because he associated being childlike with being rejected. To, to be a child was to be abandoned. And it's not a good thing. And no, he doesn't want to go back to being like a child. And in fact, his strategy simplistically was... I'm going to grow up as fast as I can. I'm going to get a good job. And I'm going to look after myself. And I'm going to put as much distance between childhood and me as I possibly can. As fast as I can. And um, and of course... <laughs> We can, we can try to bury feelings, like I said earlier, but we bury them alive, and so wherever he went, no matter how independent he became, and he became independent, got a job, grew up, and started to look after himself, this, these feelings of abandonment, these feelings like I just don't belong, I don't belong, and why can't I belong like everyone else gets to belong? Um, so when we we did uh, he was a part of our course, I think a year and a half ago was his first round through his only round through. These feelings and this pain just started to to surface in him and uh, and these feelings that he thought he had outdistanced through his adult life started to surface and float to the surface. Um, but because we were close to him and he, he felt this courage to just feel all those feelings, to feel all that pain, and he discovered the power there is in grieving things that we've lost, things that we've never had. And, and, and grieve he did. grieve he did. You know, grief is a, is a very, I think it's underrated. It, it, it helps us let go of the things that we can't have. And it makes room for the things that we can have. And and God gave him the courage to grieve things that he would never have, that the siblings that he grew up with had, they had that sense of belonging, they had that sense of place. But him grieving deeply, those experiences in childhood that were very painful, made this new space in him to experience belonging to God in a very intimate way as a child. As a child with a father. He, and so it's beautiful talking to him um, about this journey because now he can sing that worship song. Yeah, I want to be like a child. Because he's experiencing God, belonging to God. He's, he's experiencing connecting with God where he is. And he's no longer afraid when some of the painful stuff, because of course we're like onions and layers of pain, come up in our lives, right? We don't just all have one round at some of these things, right? And we're done. Um, but he's not afraid anymore because he's seen how God is, is fathering him. God is mothering him. And, uh, and the shame of the past does fall off. Some of the worship songs we sang today, how incredible, because that's what the love of God does. When we, as, as Ruth did, when we tell the truth, when we grieve things that we never experienced, um, our shame... Our shame does give way to his glory in and through us. So I wanted to share with you these two stories um, just because I think their lives tell us a lot about the journey, our own journey into health and healing and into the likeness of Jesus. The the truth um, that Ruth learned to tell um, and also Raphael, the, the learning to Grieve things that we didn't experience and letting God's love really touch us in those little places um, because it's very powerful. Um, You know, the the Bible says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And, of course, the comfort of Jesus is a very powerful thing. It erases um, lots of things that we can't battle on our own, right? We can't stare down shame. I don't know if you've ever tried to stare down the shame in your own life. You don't win that. You don't win that contest of staring down. It it stares you down, right? Um, but of course, as we connect with Jesus in those places, He's the one who stares it down, and and He 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 lifts it so that we no longer feel bent down by it. So, <clears throat> I think Art's going to just uh, lead us in in a time of, of ministry.
0: Great, thank you, Cindy. Why don't we stand together? I realize we have time. My clock actually says six minutes too. Is that more accurate than this 12 o'clock here? <laughs> that clock is bad. Good. Close your eyes and don't look at the clock. <laughs> no, seriously, I, I want to encourage you just to close your eyes. There's nothing magical that's going to happen right now, but um, I'm very aware of the, the Spirit's presence here with us, and uh, um, I, I do believe that the Lord wants to, to speak something to you if he hasn't already done so. So I want you to just close your eyes. Um, if you're comfortable with putting your hands out in front of you, that uh, we used to say it's a take the position. It's kind of like the vineyard position. Nothing magical about this. But in, in posturing ourselves that way, what happens is, is we're basically saying, I'm open. God, I want you to, whatever you have for me, give me. And uh, so Holy Spirit, we just ask you to come. I ask you to come to your people here today. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the fact that you know each and every person here and you know their story. Each one of you here today God knows your story. He knows the the things in your life that you've been open about and shared with people and others, the things that you've, you've held back because of shame, because of fear. But he knows you. And he has nothing but acceptance for his kids. And for those of you who are here today and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, his arms are open wide, he is full of acceptance and love for you. Let it come. Thank you for your presence, Lord. And some of you are going to feel just his calmness. Some of you might have a word that comes to your mind or something he's sort of pointing out to you. Whatever it is, I want to encourage you to engage with him. But you're not... Hearing anything, but you're sensing his presence just inside. Say, Lord, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your presence. More, Lord. More. More, Lord. More of your stillness. One of the amazing things about Jesus is that he does an exchange with us. And so when we have stuff that we need changed in our lives, what he does is he says, come. And just bring it to the cross. And it's just a simple thing. It's just saying, Lord, this thing that I have, I need something different here. So can I lay this at your feet? And can I get what you have for me? So, I just want to, in a very practical way, just encourage you to whatever He's bringing to your attention that you would just give it back to Him and say, Lord, please, I just want to give this to you right now. Our Father only gives good gifts, He only gives good gifts. Father, I want to thank you for the the stillness of this time. And in our busy lives, we need this, folks. We need this time where we just take a couple minutes and just say, Lord, I, (laughs) I need you to touch me. When I'm filled with anxiety, I need to go away in a room by myself and just do what we're doing now. Close my eyes, stand up, open my hands out, and say, Father, I am filled with anxiety. I need your presence. So I give you my anxiety, and I receive your peace. So I want to encourage you today that when you leave this place, that this week, even today, practice this again today. When you're by yourself, close your eyes. Just spend five minutes quietly. Say, Father, I need your presence. I welcome your presence. And then whatever rises up inside of you comes to your attention. Just offer it. Say, I lay this at your feet. I don't want to pick it up, but I do want to pick up what you have for me. That needs to happen for some of us, the shame that we have to bring that first of all to the Lord by ourselves, and then pray that God will bring someone that we can trust, that we can share with. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. Thank you, Lord. We welcome everything that you have for us. Thank you for the power that's in your peace. Thank you for the strength that comes in the stillness. Amen.